Welcome to another episode of Dana Delivers. I'm your host, Dana Zukowski. Today we're talking to Elizabeth Tilton, founder and CEO of Oyster Sunday, a game-changing business within the hospitality industry. Elizabeth and her team help independent restaurants and small food businesses with branding, marketing, operations, HR, finance, business development, and data management. In this episode, we'll learn how Elizabeth and her team turn their passion for the food industry into a successful business that's making significant impact on small businesses. Stay tuned to hear valuable insights, strategies, and lessons from Elizabeth on building a thriving business in the hospitality industry. So Elizabeth, welcome, and thank you for being our first guest on the second season. Thank you so much for having me, Dana. Great to be here. Of course. And I always like to start out with the first time I met someone and anyone who listens knows sometimes that the other person doesn't remember and sometimes they do. But in our preparation, we discussed that first time. And when we met originally, it was over at 100 Park Avenue at a coffee shop. And you told me about this great idea and it was wonderful. And you were so excited and I loved your enthusiasm and I loved the idea. And I was like, I don't know how the hell this girl's going to do it. And now how many years later, and not only are you doing it, you are doing it so well. So why don't you tell our group a little bit about what Oyster Sunday is and what you guys are doing? Uh, Dana, I remember that coffee so vividly. I was really nervous actually meeting you because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm talking to Dana and I have this idea, but it's not real. <laughs> so I remember that coffee so vividly. But yeah, hi everyone. I am Elizabeth Tilton. And as mentioned, the founder and CEO of Oyster Sunday, I always like to kind of make a note that Oyster Sunday, the name itself stands for operating system. Um, I was at UVA pre-med and started a catering company my second year at 19. And what it really was was kind of encapsulating my love for food um, and really a creative outlet while I was going through the pre-med track. And instead of going to med school, I decided to then go and pursue that after college. I thought it was to get out of my system, um, but it really ended up being a, full a full-fledged career and love for food. And started back a house, went, moved to New York and joined the Momofuku team. Um, and then eventually a culinary design company called WMP. And across the, through all of these different iterations of my career, really learned a lot of different skills and added them to my, I always say my tool and my tool belt. And really in 2019, decided to, to build Oyster Sunday. I had written down the business plan back in 2012 and sat on it for about seven years waiting. I think partially to be like, why isn't this already exist? And secondly, I hadn't really get my own skills. Um, what I thought could really build a company for, for scale and for resilience. Um, so what we are is we really consider ourselves to be a corporate office for independent restaurants. And what we do is everything from really looking at every independent restaurant has a lot of foundations that they need from financial analytics, operations, human resources, marketing and branding, and really define scale for all the 400,000 independent restaurants nationwide. We decided to roll that out of a restaurant group and to create it for every independent restaurant to really complement their skill sets and um, potentially to patch some blind spots as they grow their business. You have a whole team with you. Tell me about how your team works and operates. There's 20 of us, a core team of eight, and a lot of really amazing independent contractors nationwide that make Oyster Sunday possible, that have these really amazing skills um, that they bring to the table. And I consider myself to be the conductor, where okay. I'm trying to be the first chair cellist and first chair violist to get us all in the same room to really make something pretty special for operators coast to coast. No, and that's fantastic. So you get to see, you're working all over the country. So you're working with a lot of different locations, a lot of different cities, a lot of different brands and concepts. I think the fun thing for, again, the listener is they know their business. They get to talk to their friends. They don't get to hear from a wide variety of people, which is why I like to bring people like you onto the podcast. What's one of your biggest takeaways of that you, like, that you look at somebody and you want to work with them and you're like, this is what 
everyone needs to really be thinking about? Like, what's one of those things, no matter what size the business and what brand that you go in, and this is what you really want to focus on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's two answers to that question. The first and foremost, we always ask operators and we start working with them and their team saying, at the end of the day, what does five, when you look down the road in five years, what to you is success? Is it having multi-concept? Is it taking care of your team and doing 100% healthcare? Is it, and not that those are by any means mutually exclusive, but what we try to do from the get-go is say, okay, tell us what your hopes and dreams are and what you're trying to make possible within the four walls of your business or the brand extensions as people think about alternative revenue streams. And the second part of that is saying, okay, if these are your hopes and dreams and what success looks like for your life, how do we make that come like financially come to life. So then we'll do, we really rely a lot from the get-go. Maybe it's a new opening or it's a company that's already, a business that's already been in business and trying to recreate its model or how it's working. We go straight back to the finances. Okay. We look at emails, we go into forecasting and try to really make informed data-driven decisions for their business. Right. And again, defining success and making sure that everyone's on the same page because if not, one person might be thrilled, but someone else might not be. I know... I had a job once where I reported into three different people and their definition of success, if you set them each in a room, one wanted money and one wanted fame and one wanted a little bit of both. So no matter what you did, you didn't always have three happy customers at the end of the day. So making sure whoever you're reporting into has defined success and everyone understands it is definitely important. And Dana, I think to that point too, we even like, we start off with onboarding questionnaires with our with our um, partners and our restaurant partners, and we ask them from the get-go and they, they have to answer up separate of each other. So that's, that's the best really, way to do it. It totally is. But to your point, exactly what you had to experience, that's like such a, it's such a reality when people aren't aligned. Um, and many people are, like, I think there's a lot of people who are really in lockstep. So it's fun to see it come to life. Right. Or at least finding the purple in the Venn diagram. Yeah. So, yeah. And then you start speaking about how some people might want to grow their business and keep expanding what they're doing, but also some are going into other revenue streams. As far as diversification, I think as an industry, we've obviously seen a lot of branded merchandise on our supermarket shelves that started in restaurants and everyone thinks they could do it. Everyone thinks it's going to be so easy and you're just going to walk right into Target and put your spaghetti sauce on the wall. What are you seeing as far as brand extensions and the difficulty? Are you seeing it at all in the companies you're working with? And how are you helping them with that? Uh, it's such a good question. I would say, particularly my after leaving Momofuku, I joined, as mentioned, this design company called WMP Design, now called WMP. It was a remarkable company that created products. And it really was our role was to get them on shelves at Target. Right. You know? And so understanding that that kind of life cycle process and that whole the consumer, excuse me, the purchaser is changing so much in all these landscapes. So I agree with you, getting on the shelves is very difficult. But one thing that we help operators think about is like, okay, you're not necessarily built to be a national scalable CPG or consumer packaged good CPG brand with a lot of inventory, but maybe you've, but we want to set you up for success as saying, okay, but at the same time, you're, you have your reservation system, you have your POS system, you have all, you have email capture, you have all this data of people who are loyal to you. And they're already, they're your biggest advocates, right? They're, the, for they're sure. the ones who are far down the funnel. So we need to make sense of who those people are. Because if you're talking about your purchasing power, this crew is the one who's already engaged with you. So why don't we go ahead and make sense of who these people are, how they're loyal, and see what if we can get in front of them as an alternative revenue stream. Because they may want your olive oil, your spaghetti sauce in their cupboard and in their pantry in a way in which will lead you for success because you've already tapped into a market where the education is, is tangible. They know who you are. 
And then you can go, once you get scale and a relying loyal customer base, then you can think about city, regional, national scaling. That's right. something that we kind of really think about. And also going back to the model, like we run the numbers and say, what does it take to hit these um, minimum order quantities or MOQs and to be able to purchase enough to make it viable? Right. And again, the, you, using the data you have already, we all have so many systems in the restaurants. There is so much data and just digging through it and finding the good stuff and what you really want to use. Tell me now you've been around a few years, you got through the pandemic, you helped a lot of restaurants reopen and stay open and all of that's amazing. What's next for Oyster Sunday? Like what are some of the things you guys are working on that could help restaurateurs listening? Yeah, I think one thing we did during, particularly in the height of COVID is we were really putting on a lot of resources. We're listening to the industry was addressing issues. I think that is still a key priority that we're going to be really prioritizing with the latter half of this year. Um, that's one as an extension of what we've already been doing. Okay. But really excitingly, we um, in 2021, we announced and kind of built this beta version of our benefits program, which we now call OS Benefits. And what it does is it, it's a marketplace that connects operators and their teams to um, a marketplace that includes preventative oh. care, catastrophic insurance, continuing education, physical, mental wellness, um, and family planning and culinary tools and apparel that we've gone out as a company have gone out on behalf of the industry and renegotiated and negotiated reduced costs on all of these vendors for 15 to 50% off. We've aggregated them to make them available to any operator in the United States. Um, and I, I always joke that we're like- That's a, an unbelievable thing. So even if someone's not a current customer partner of you guys now, they could still use this platform to look up the benefits and, re and reap the benefits of your hard work. Yeah, absolutely. And what we really saw was that even from the inception of Oyster Sunday with my pre-med background, we looked to securing healthcare on behalf of all restaurants that we worked with. Needless to say, the American healthcare system is by no means set up to do so. <laughs> Lesson <laughs> learned is my uh, optimistic self at the time. But what we do see is that there's this enormous gap where um, 30, there's about in the independent hospitality business, 32% of employers offer healthcare, meaning oh, wow. 68% of people are not offered employee-based healthcare, healthcare, which is a staggering number. That's crazy. But I think it's crazy. And it's, but I think the more we work with operators, everyone has the intention of doing that, but it's cost prohibitive. Like they just can't, it's, it's really hard when the bottom line is so tight. And not only that, even if you made it available to your team, it still requires high participation from your employees, which is very difficult when the cost is so high relative to all the other expenses they have in their life. Right. So what we've done is built this to bridge the gap where we have preventative care, catastrophic insurance and dental membership available that only nets out to about $40 a person per month, which is a very different proposition that gives people care and access in a way in which otherwise would be, um, it wouldn't be available. Right. And I mean, that's phenomenal that you guys are able to put that together and put this out into the world because to your point, everyone should, I know this isn't supposed to be a political discussion, but put, right. Healthcare should be a right that everyone has and should have access to. So at $40 a month is definitely a lot more approachable than 400 a month or to some people thousands a month. So right. kudos to you guys for figuring this out. Thank you, Dana. Yeah. And for the employer, we're only the, it's about $5 a month per employee to come on board right now. So yeah. it's actually, it's really on the, on the other side, the, the employee has a choice of purchasing what makes sense in their life. So it's really, it nets out to a very affordable um, marketplace for individuals. And we're rolling out a 
we're in beta right now. We have 2,300 people on it and we're rolling out a new version of it in June. So I'm really excited to get that um, more out to market and let people know about it because to date it's just been word of mouth. Well, that's absolutely amazing. And I think we're coming up on the end of our time together here, but it would be doing a disservice to all of our listeners if you didn't tell them how to find that. Oh, <laughs> that would be helpful. Oystersunday.com is our website. And then oystersunday.com slash benefits is the current benefits URL, but we'll be moving that over to its own ecosystem pretty shortly in June. So stay tuned. But we yeah. can you can find all that information on our website. Awesome. Fantastic. And Elizabeth, I will see you in a few weeks at the FAP conference. By then, maybe we'll both have new headshots so that when we're promoting everything. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> I need one. So anyone listening who wants to take the pictures, let us know. So again, thank you for your time, Elizabeth, and I'll see you in a few weeks. Great. Thank you, Dana. Appreciate your time. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dana Delivers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I want to encourage you to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends, colleagues, and anyone else who could benefit from it. We have great conversations with top leaders in the restaurant, franchise, and hospitality space where they offer their knowledge and expertise and give us valuable insight into these industries. If you have any questions or observations you'd like to share with me, please reach out at dana.zukowski at aprio.com or visit our website at aprio.com to learn more about all the different ways Aprio can help your business. Thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to delivering more valuable content soon.